Good morning, New Life. I want you to imagine what it must have been like to watch and witness firsthand some of the things that we've seen in the Old Testament. You know, some of the, the stories of, for example, when, when Israel walked out of Egypt. I mean, what it would it have been like to see that scene where you know, 2.5 million people plundered the, the strongest nation on earth at the time, and, and they're leaving, except behind them now they got this vengeful Pharaoh who's out for blood and chasing them up against this, this blockade that is the Red Sea. And then suddenly this guy that looks a lot like Charlton Heston raises up his arms and, and the water splits, allowing these, this nation to cross across on, on dry land to safety. Incredible scene for that. Or, or imagine that the scene of, uh, of Mount Carmel with Elijah. Remember the scene where they're going to do a battle of the prophets, and it's going to be the prophets of Baal versus the prophet of God, Elijah. And, and the challenge was, was perfect for TSN and Sportsnet, especially right now where there is no sports to cover, right? It was this epic battle of, you know, a competition, who got, whose God is real. And so they set it up where they build these two altars, and, and first for hours the prophets of Baal just dance and and plead to their God to do something, that he would rain down fire to let this, this sacrifice burn, and nothing happens. And, and after some grade A trash talk of Elijah, he, he then instructs this young boy to, to douse his altar with, with pitchers of water, so much so that it floods it and creates a little moat around it. And then with a simple prayer, the fire of God comes down and and sets ablaze the the sacrifice on the altar. It's an incredible scene. I mean, how cool it would have been to witness that firsthand, to to see the supernatural things of God that way. And then there's Daniel in the lion's den and his three friends, and there's so many other stories. And I I remember as a little boy thinking how jealous I was, that I kind of wish that I was born in that time so, so I could have seen that, so I could have witnessed God in those ways. And I kind of felt at times that you know Moses and, and Daniel and Elijah and all these, these people, they had it better than I did. That's not the case. That, that's so not the case. The reality is you and I have something that the people in the Old Testament can never dream of, but if they could have, they would have swapped it in a moment. They would have swapped in a heartbeat. I, I love how Paul talks about it in Colossians 1.26. He talks about this mystery that's been hidden from the ages and generations before, but a mystery that's now been revealed to you and I. And so what we have today is far greater than any Old Testament saint had. We get to experience something in, under this new covenant that is far greater, far more powerful. And, and you think about that. I mean, Moses, his face shone because of the relationship he had with God. And we've got something even better than that. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to read through the passage. The passage is going to be Ephesians 3, uh, 1 to 9. We're going to read through that passage together and discover this incredible mystery that we have in Jesus. So read along with me. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which has been given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles 
are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, created all things. Let's pray. Father, we're gonna study this mystery. We're gonna study this morning this this incredible gift that you have given to us that we get to experience now, life in you, life abundant. And and my prayer this morning is not that we would would understand more just for the sake of understanding, not that we'd collect more, more Bible knowledge or trivia or anything like that, but my prayer is specific that we would hear from you, that we would experience life in you this morning. And that life would be worked out to heal, to restore, to redeem, but then to manifest itself to those around us. So use me, speak through me any way you see fit, Father. Excited to see what you're gonna do. Your name we pray, amen. Well, this passage this morning, I want to see the the structure of it. There's there's a structure to this passage, and it's kind of like a sandwich, I'd say. Right, you think about what a sandwich is. A sandwich, you've got you got two pieces of bread, right? Preferably toasted, because that just takes a sandwich to another level. And if you haven't tried that yet, you're welcome, right? So you got these two pieces of toasted bread, and, and then in the middle, you've got the meats. And you know, smoked meat or you know, sliced, whatever you want, roast beef, but you got nice, you know, lots of great meat there, and that fills up that sandwich, right? That's what provides the nutrients and nutrition. Well, that's kind of what this passage is. You've got two slices of bread that are are kind of on either side, and that's verses one to five, and then verses seven to nine. They make up the two pieces of bread, but then verse six, oh, verse six is this beautiful piece of meat. It's just so tasty and wonderful. It's like steak. It's it's gorgeous. We're going to love studying it this morning. I'm I'm getting hungry just kind of thinking about that. So we're going to move on away from that illustration. But we're going to start, in, and I want you to see with the attitude of Paul. I want you to see what his, his thinking was uh, that he's writing to us, particularly his humility, right? He starts off and he says, I was made a minister, right? I was made a minister. This isn't something that he earned. It's not something that he went to college for and that he, he worked for. It, it, he didn't you know, have to go through come, some kind of rigorous ordination process even. It was rather, it's something that God gave to him. God made him a minister. And it was according to the gift of God's grace. Do you notice that again? That, that Paul was chosen by God for this. That, that it wasn't based on his skill. It wasn't based on any of his past. It was based on what God had done. And that's remarkable when you think about what he had done before, that he was the the great persecutor of the church. And yet God chose him for this moment to, to be a minister here. And then he goes on, he says, and I'm working according to his power. Do you notice that? I mean, Paul had great intellect. He, he had great training and great skills that he could have relied upon and, and fallen back on. But he says, that's not what I'm going to trust in. No, instead, I'm going to trust in God's power and God's ability. Because you, if you think about it, you know, when he tried to live for God, he ended up persecuting the church. He 
ended up, he ended up imprisoning and even executing Christians. But when he trusted God in him, now he becomes the great apostle. But then this last statement here, he says, and I'm the least of all saints. Again, you see the humility there, right? He, he understood where he came from. He never forgot that this was where he was and what he was doing was, was truly this gift from God. And, and yes, in other passage, he goes on and he talks about how he's the chief of sinners, but that was a past tense. He's no longer that sinners. Look, he, he may be the least of all saints, but he's still a saint, knowing that it's all about God and what God has done in his grace. And so we see in here the humility of Paul, but we also see the mission of Paul. So in verses eight and nine, we're gonna see again what that, what that mission of Paul was really looking like. And, and he, so he says in verses eight and nine, and put it up here in a second. Paul goes on to say in verses eight and nine that um, that to him being the least of all saints, he was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and bring to light the administration of the mystery which for ages was hidden in God who created all things. So what I want you to see here is there's this twofold ministry that Paul was given, right? The number one was to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. That word to, to preach is, is basically means to proclaim, to, to announce good news, to, to declare or state what is wonderful. It's, it's the same root word that we get from evangelize. Right, so here was Paul's job. He says, number one, I just wanna share with you, I wanna to inform to you the good news. And in many ways, that's, that's what any minister, any teacher, anyone who's, who's sharing God's word, that's what we're called to do is, number one is to announce to you what is true, what is real. But then number two goes on to say, and to bring to light what is the administration of that ministry. I like how one translation put it this way. He, they said this way, that of bringing to light how this hidden purpose was to be put into effect. Oh, that's so good. I, I love that. Because see, authentic Christianity is, is not, not a series of rules to put into effect. It, it needs to be explained. It needs to be taught. What does this look like? But it's not gonna be these five steps. It's not gonna be this formula that you just sort of follow now. And, and if you do these six things, then you're gonna be a, a godly person or, or a godly mother or father or spouse or employer or whatever. It, it can't be reduced to that. It refuses to be reduced to a formula or to a system. But our job as, as teachers is to explain, well, what does that mean? What is this new covenant? What is this life in Jesus and, and him living in me? What does that look like? And so that's really my job. Every time I get up to speak is, is two. Number one, to proclaim the truth, but then hopefully present it in a way that we could understand what that looks like, but not being able to do it in a, in a three-step format. Because think about what Paul calls this. He uses this word mystery. Oh, that's such a beautiful word. This mystery that he's using to describe this Christian life. To, to understand what a mystery is, we have to understand what it's not. See, it often gets confused with a riddle. And we think of mystery and riddle in the same terms, but, but a riddle is not a mystery. Let me give you an example of a riddle. Uh, what question can you never answer yes to? And, and the question is, are you asleep yet? 
right? Because if you're asleep, you're not saying anything, right? So that's a riddle. And, and the way a riddle works is once you know the answer to the question, then it's solved and, and it's, there's nothing left there anymore. And, and so that's how a riddle works. But, but a mystery, a mystery is something that you never get to the bottom of, that, that you will study it for your whole life. And every day you're learning something more about it. So here's a great example of a mystery, I'd say, women. Amen, brothers? Amen? Uh, our, our wives? Now listen, I say that in somewhat tongue-in-cheek, although it is very true. But please don't see that as a, as a knock against you. Because I'm so glad that women are a mystery. See, the reality is, if, if joy was, was, was not a mystery to me, if she was something that I could solve, something that I could just figure out, then I would do that. And, and then once I figure it out, to be honest, I'd probably just move on. And it'd be easy to discard her and move, move on to something else. But, but because she's a mystery, because God made her that way, God's designed other people, people in general are mysteries, but because God's designed my wife to be a mystery, now she's someone I get to explore. She's someone that I get to get to know. And, and you know, after 17 years of marriage almost, I'm still getting to know her. And, and after 17 more years of marriage, I'll still be getting to know her. And so while it's, it may be frustrating at times, I'm eternally grateful for the mystery that she is because there's beauty in that mystery. And so that's what we have. This Christian life is a mystery. But it's not a mystery that is, is so um, abstract that you'll never be able to understand it. It's a mystery we get to explore and experience and get to know. And so Paul goes on now to tell us more about this mystery in verse six. And so he says in verse six, he says, let me explain specifically what it is. And he says that there are, that the, the mystery is to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, our, our English translation here, it's, it's using the word fellow. You see that it shows up three times. And, and the reality here, what, what Paul had done is, is he had taken the words here in these, the, the fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers. They're actually all just one word each for each of those phrases. And, and it's a combination of words. And so it's each of those words have a prefix of sin on it in the Greek. S-Y-N, not S-I-N, right? Uh, think like uh, synthetic or synthesis and so forth, right? That's that same idea here, and uh, or synchronize. And so the word sin here is means to to uh, to link up or fellow here. And so that's this idea that he's using. And so he's got these three parts to it, right? The the fellow heirs, the fellow members of the body, and the fellow partakers. And so that's why I'm I'm in, I've entitled this message the sensational mystery of Christ. Josh, that was for you. I got, I got no subtitle, but let me know, Josh, what you think of that, sub, that title. It's the sensational, S-Y-N, sensational mystery of Christ. I thought that was clever. So pat on the back, moving on. All right, so we're gonna look at first starting with the fellow heirs part, right? And, and I wanna think about the fellow heirs. I, I kind of liken that or, or liken that to, to God's provision, right? So what do I mean by that? Well, I think I've spent most of my life trying to engineer a solution where my life's not just easier, but it's more secure. 
And what I mean by that is that, that I don't need anyone. That I've, I've, I've been able to, to organize my life that, that if something around me falls apart, if, if there's some kind of a failure, that I'm still safe and secure. That I'm okay. That, that I have enough redundancies that I'll never be hurt. That I'll never be without something. And, and the reality is no matter how much I engineer, I just can't come to a conclusion or to a solution that I'm that safe. You know, this, this past week, we had, we had John Lynch join us for a Zoom webinar. And if you haven't, if you haven't had the pleasure to, to hear that, it's on our YouTube channel, and I invite you to come and check that out. But in there, he used this idea, this, this concept, and he spoke about how we're, we're people with limitations. That, that the reality is every one of us has some inherent limitation to us. And that, again, that's just how we're designed to be. Because the only person without limitations, the only person that truly is self-sufficient is God. He's the only one that has life in himself. And, and the rest of us, none of us has that. We're all designed, as people of limitations, we're all designed to need another, specifically to need Jesus. And so that's how he's kind of wired us. And so I, I want to kind of present it to you this way. There's really two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are needy and those who have not yet realized how needy they are. But every one of us is needy because we're all created to be limited people. We're all created to be dependent people. So, so what is it that we need? Well, obviously, the need is going to be different based on the circumstances you're in. Right in terms of whether you're hungry or cold or wet or, or so forth. So there's certain physical needs that we all have. But there's also spiritual and soulical needs that we all have. And, and we often don't even recognize it, but the needs are there. They're, they're even, I would say, more uh, significant than the physical needs that we often focus on. The needs to be loved and, and the needs to, to be accepted and approved. The, the need to be valued and, and to be significant and, and to be protected and safe and secure. The, the need for peace and, and patience and, and love for other people, especially those who don't agree with us. You know, th those, are, those are all needs that we all inherently have. And, and we, can't, we can't, no matter how hard we strive and, and try to create and summon that, we can't create it in, within ourselves we're created to find that in Jesus Christ. And so I think most of us, most of us have been searching for those needs, but doing it by trying to look for the world, looking for it in, in what the flesh has to offer or what the world has to offer to us. Uh, whether it be our governments or whether it be our, our, our family or whether it be our jobs, I mean, I think that's what makes this time so difficult for so many people is because those support systems that they've had in place are suddenly been removed. And, and we're kind of just coasting through life now unsure of where, where do I go and, and, and what do I do? Because so much has been, been thrown up in the air. But, but do you realize that no matter how much our world is different today than it was you know, six weeks ago or two months ago, do you realize that nothing's really changed? You know, we, we talk about unprecedented and uncertain and, and all these untyped terms that we throw out there, but do you realize nothing's really changed? God's still God. He's still on his throne. And he's still the source 
to all that we need. He's still the one providing for us. Granted, he's going to do it in different ways, but he's still the source. And because he's never changed, we have hope. All he asks of us now is to cast our burdens onto him. So we have a verse like 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, where, where Peter writes to us and he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Right? So we have this, this idea that, you know, humbling ourselves. So number one, recognizing that you're a person of limitation, that you're created to be dependent. And it's okay. To, to deny that would be arrogant and proud. But to humble ourselves, God, I need you right now. I need you in this moment to be life to me. And then to cast our anxiety. And that's an ongoing, continually, here you go, God, it's yours. I'm trusting you in this moment. All day long, placing the burden and the responsibility of life on the Jesus' shoulders and not on our own. I love how David, the psalmist, put it in, in Psalm 37. He says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls, notice when he falls. It's not a question of if, it's when he falls. He will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Think about the picture of that. Oh, the picture of that is so, it's so beautiful here. That here we are, picture this, yourself as a little toddler, walking along, holding, holding God's hand. And, and you're coming along and, and you get tripped up. And, and you know, maybe, maybe you stepped over a curb incorrectly. Maybe, maybe you tripped up over, you know, a shoelace. Maybe it was air because you're a toddler. You still learn how to walk. And no matter how badly you fall and trip, your father's hands are there and he's holding you. And, and it doesn't mean that you won't get hurt, but it's just this idea that you're not gonna fall off the edge of the cliff. You're, you're, you're not gonna smash your face to such a degree that, that the hope is all gone. No, he's got you. He's holding your hand. And therefore, he's caring for us, providing for us because he loves us intently. There's rest in that. You know, I've been, I've been thinking this last week about, you know, how I've been feeling. And, and often I, I think it, it's, it's a question we often ask just sort of as, as a way to introduce, um, you know, find out where people are at and so forth. But it's often a question of, I, I hate to answer because so much of my life, I, I don't want to pause. I don't want to take the moment and just kind of do an emotional inventory of where I'm at. But I've been forced to, in the, in the, especially I say in these last couple of weeks, because I felt really tired. I felt, I felt a lot of a weight, a lot of tension, and, and just, just exhaustion. I, I mean, I, I come home, and I just I feel like I got nothing, and I'm ready to go to bed, and it's 6 o'clock at night. And so I've, I've, I've kind of been asking Father, what, what's been going on? And, and, and I've had this feeling like ever since, um, you know, I think it was March 11th, ever since the NBA shut down. I mean, I'm, I'm holding the NBA responsible for all this personally, but... When they shut down, that, that seemed to trigger a series of events. Um, you know, then the NHL shut down, and then schools shut down, and government shut down, and everything was just, you know, this domino effect. And, but ever since that moment happened, something inside me braced for impact. 
It was like every muscle, every part of me just clenched and says, okay, here it's coming. Crisis, time to get ready for action. Time to be ready to step up. And I was ready. And I, I was getting ready for like, okay, who, you know, people are gonna be struggling. We gotta help these people. And, and I braced for impact. And I've, I think I've been clenched the whole five, six weeks now. I'm tired. And, and I think what I had done is I'd, I'd taken on that responsibility of trying to be people's savior, trying to be there for everyone and not realizing that, yes, God may want to use me, but God's the source of all that. So that's what I need to do. I need to remember now. I need to kind of rest and ex- kind of exhaust my breath or the exhale and just to remember that, that it's God in me, that he's wanting to use me and other people, but he's got to be the source for me in this moment. And so as I've been remembering that the last few days, I can, I can begin to feel the, the tension begin to, to flow out of my body. I can begin to, to feel the rest returning again because he's my provision, because we're, I'm a fellow heir. And, and I love how he goes on. He's like, I'm a fellow heir of the promise. That's what's so beautiful here. A fellow heir of the promise of God. That, that word promise is, is really a connection to a covenant. And that's what God's reminding us here, that, that the reason that he's providing for us is because we're, we're participating in a covenant that God had given to Abraham all the way back in Genesis, that, that it's come to fruition now, that we're getting to participate in this great blessing of God caring for and providing for us. And here's what blows my mind about this covenant. Listen, this covenant is so incredible. It's so wonderful that the Holy Spirit that's been given to us to reside within us is merely a down payment. It blows my mind. I mean, that the Holy Spirit, God has given to us God, and that's a down payment on what's to come? I don't get that. That's bigger than my mind can understand it, but that's how awesome this covenant is. That's what you and I are partaking of, right? That's the, that's the provision that we have here. That blows my mind, right? So if fellow heir now speaks to, to God's provision, then he goes on and says, and now we're fellow members of the body. So, so here's what's kind of cool. Paul actually, he invented this word. I, I think that's amazing here. He invented the word sinsoma. The, the word sin again, and soma meaning body, right? To, so he creates this idea, just so we can get these three sins, right? So sin soma, we're fellow members of the body of Christ. So what is he speaking about there? He's speaking about the church, or, or more accurately put, the ecclesia, the, the, the gathering, the, the body of believers in Christ who have been united together, the saints. And, and here's what he does. Although he is the source and he could meet all my needs directly. I think his primary way of operating is through the body of Christ. It's not the only way, but the primary way that God wants to satisfy and meet those needs is through the body of Christ. And so this week, I've been, I've been talking to some brothers, I've been talking to some sisters, I've been talking to, to my wife and, and, and sharing how I've been feeling, and they've been encouraging me and praying for me and, and supporting me. Even, even this morning, I got this great message from Nikki just to encourage me. And, and it was just another example 
of, of how the body of Christ is, is working and how it was ultimately God sending that message, but he was using the body of Christ. And so that's what the church gets to be. I love how Jesus describes what the church is in, in Matthew 5 and in verses 14 and 16. And he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but under the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that the world may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Isn't that amazing that, that what we ought to be, the church, especially in this moment, is to, to be on a hilltop so that you know, everyone can see the church and marvel at, at how the church is loving one another, caring for one another, supporting one another. But, but even the world at large, and that the world would say, wow, in a time where people were withdrawing, the church was advancing, the church was engaging. That this wasn't a time the church says, well, we're just gonna hunker down and we're gonna get through it. But the church says, this is a moment that we could shine, not so that the glory would go to the church, no, 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 but so that the world would see God in us because he's ultimately that light and that they would glorify God because of what's happening. But for that to happen, you know, that means we gotta love each other. We gotta love one another. And again, you know, this past week, we were talking about that with John when, when we were on that Zoom webinar chat. And, and, and remember how he, he talked about this idea that, you know, in order for love to take place, and, and love isn't this sentimental feeling, you know, too often that's what we've done. We've, we've meant it as a feeling. I fall in love. I fall out of love. And, and I don't feel like love. And that's not what love is. Love is an action. Love is something what you do. Love is, love is meeting the needs of another and often at the expense or sacrifice of our own to varying degrees. But what that means is it involves a few things. It involves a lover. It involves some kind of action. And it involves someone who's being loved. And, and the lover and the one being loved have different responsibilities. So the role of the lover is to earn that right, to earn permission, as John talked about it, and, and meaning that they need to begin to prove themselves trustworthy, that the love that they're offering is not manipulative, that the love they're offering doesn't come with a catch. It's not, I'll love you if I get something back in return. Think about it. That kind of love is predatory. That's the love that abusers do in order to, you know, create this relationship with their prey. That's not what love is. Love is, I want to give you a gift. What you do with that gift is up to you, but I just want to give you that gift. And so it's the lover's responsibility to earn permission to prove to that person that they really do have the other person's best interests at heart. They're not setting them up. They're not out to judge them and get them. They're just wanting to express love to them. But the one being loved has another responsibility as well. And, and, and for them, their responsibility is to risk, risk trusting them, to let that in, to, to let what is being said is true, that the other person isn't just kind of blown smoke. They're not just kind of setting them up, that what they're saying is real. 
that, that what, they're, what they're doing, what they're offering is legit. That's what real authentic love is. And that's scary. That's, that's incredibly scary for us because, because we've been hurt by other people. Maybe right now this morning, you've been hurt by other people. And I, and I wish I could say that, that in the new life, we've, we've understand the new covenant and, and we're, t- we're experiencing it. Why? No one's gonna get hurt here. I can't make that promise. I can't make that promise for myself that I won't hurt you. I can't make that promise that no one else will hurt you because we're all in, in varying stages of maturity and clumsiness and, and so forth. In fact, the one thing I can guarantee you is you, you will be hurt. And so we hear them and think, well, why, why would I ever risk it then? Why would I ever bother put myself out there? Isn't it better for me to withdraw and not do that? Well, you can. The reality is you're free to do so. You're loved either way. But when you guard yourself in such a way and you put up that boundary and that wall, you are guaranteeing that you're going to get because you're not letting love in. You're not letting someone in to apologize. You're not letting someone in to, to bring healing or redemption to that wound. Or you're not just letting anyone come alongside to encourage you and support you and remind you of what you've got. And so you're guaranteed to be hurt. So you might as well find someone. Not everyone. Because not everyone is trustworthy. But look for those who are trustworthy and begin to let them in. You know, I remember... Number of weeks back, we were, we were meeting as elders, and, and Robin he shared this great quote. And it was it literally it was so good. I, I remember writing it down right away, and and I got him to sign it, and I said I'm going to share this one day, and and it came to my my mind this week as I was preparing, and, and such a great quote. So here, here's what Robin said. He says, "The reason for my safety in this group is Jesus. Anything else, and I'm in trouble." And and when a, a guy as good looking as Robin says that, you know it's true, right? Look what he says, the, the reason for my safety is Jesus. That's, that's what makes us safe. Because, you know, when, when God's using the church, the church isn't a source. It's not a source of love. It's just a vessel or a vehicle of love. So what that, does that mean is, is that when I offer love to, to joy or to my kids, that, that I'm not the source of that love. Jesus is. And if I, dis, if I screw up, if I fail, if, if I get selfish, if I get clumsy in that, or in, if my immaturity shows and I fail to show that love to, to my wife or my kids, then he finds another way. Be it through my, through my wife to my kids or, or, or be it through my kids to my wife or, or through friends or other people in the church, he hasn't changed. He still remains the source. And that's why you and I are so secure. If 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 Peter or Jeremy or or Greg, if they were my source, I mean, if Greg was my source, oh boy, am I ever in trouble, right? And you say, well, what's Greg? Exactly, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm in trouble either way. And 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 so the beauty of that is they're not; they're the vessel. And even when they screw up, which is more often than, than Amen, Amen. So even when they screw up, God's bigger than their screw up. And so I want, I want you to, to know that I want you to risk it. I want you to risk putting yourself out there, finding someone who is trustworthy, right? And, and you could do it in stages, right? Little, little bit, 
a little bit more, a little bit more, and finding someone who is trustworthy to allow that life in from Jesus, right? All right, now we wanna look at our, our third slide, our third point here. And, and so we've been kind of talking about, you know, the fellow heir and the, and the fellow members of the body and the, and, the, and the fellow partakers. I've been thinking of it as God's provisions, God's people, and God's power. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that clever? I didn't even have to go to preacher school for that, by the way, right? But, but I want you to see if God's heir, God's provision, sorry, if we're fellow heirs, God's provision, if, if he's the source and, and the, the means by which he wants to offer that and share that is through the body, through the church, God's people. The power, though, that we get to experience this and, and participate in all this is through the Holy Spirit. And that's what we get to be partakers of. We get to be partakers of his Holy Spirit. So, so we have a verse like Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 where it says that it's not by power, not by might, but by God, by his Spirit, says the Lord of hope. Right? So it's not going to come from our own self, our own power. Let me give you this kind of illustration. Uh, I, I want you to imagine an engine in a car, in a vehicle. And, and this, this engine now, it needs fuel to run on. Because if it's got no fuel, it really doesn't matter how powerful the engine is, right? Like you can have this beautiful, you know, 351, three, you know, V8, 400 horsepower. You can have, a, you know, V12 Ferrari engine, whatever you come up with. If it's got no fuel, it's a paperweight, right? It's useless. And so you need fuel to drive this thing. But now you got a couple different options, right? One option might be to put some really stale gas in there. And by I me, mean by stale is it's got all kinds of impurities. It's got water in there. It's just bad gas. But you put that gas in there and you fire up that engine, it, it, it's going to choke. It's going to sputter. It's going to be rough sounding and likely going to cause a lot of damage it's not going to run properly. It's not going to run as it's intended to because it's not meant to run on that kind of gas. But if you put right gas in there, proper gas, as it's been spec'd out for, then that engine's going to run smooth and powerful. Well, the, the kind of gas is who we trust in. And, and if I trust in myself, my own resources, I'm, I'm trusting in the flesh. I'm trusting in my own abilities. And that's that old stale gas. And it's going to run rough. It's going to hurt people. It's going to cause all kinds of damage. Because it's going to be self-centered. Because no matter how good looking the flesh is, it's always self-centered by nature. That's why it doesn't please God. But if I choose to trust in his power, if, if I kind of come up to his filling station, so to speak. And that's kind of where the illustration breaks down because it's not a, a one-time fill up and then go off and drive. It's, it's, I've got him always in me. And so as I, as I trust in his power and, and run off of his life, now I get to experience all he has for me. And, and now I run smoothly and, and the life of Jesus in me is far more powerful. And that's what he's wanting you and I to experience. His provision, often through his people, as we partake of his spirit, as we express the life of Jesus in through us. So that's our invitation. It's my invitation to you, is to just take some time to, to reflect on what you have in you, what you get to offer to one another. But who are the people within the body of Christ 
that you want to risk receiving from. And watch the life of Jesus. This, this beautiful expression, this, this, this river that's really a circular life. It goes from God to me, to you, to God, to you, to me. To God. It's just it's this, this life that's being passed around one another. Watch that happen. Watch how it changes our families and our lives. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've given to us. It's a mystery that we're gonna spend our entire life, we're gonna spend all of eternity exploring and getting to know because ultimately it's you. The mystery is, is in you, is Jesus Christ. But thank you that you revealed it to us, that we have something that even Moses and Daniel and Elijah were jealous of, that if they'd known that this was possible, they would have, they would have pleaded with you to, to delay their birth so they could experience this oneness with you, Christ in us. I pray that today we would just be aware of that and that we would be trusting in your strength and your power as we minister life to one another. As, as we get to share light and hope in a very dark, very hurting world. In your name we pray. Bless your new life. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Let's keep the conversation going in, in the, the community group. Um, just encourage one another. Looking forward to, to seeing you sometime, how, however online we can this week. God bless you.